Hey, it's been my real privilege over these last few weeks to spend time with you in this What If series, where we're discovering how to answer this question, what if we could just partner with God in ways that could make huge differences in the world? What if we could recognize that gratitude really does lead to generosity? And what if we could recognize that God is doing amazing things in and through us and can continue to do amazing things in and through us for God's greater glory? You know, I, I remember uh, the passage of Scripture in Luke's Gospel where Jesus is talking to a man who really wants to inherit eternal life, and he has lots of questions. And, and at one point, uh, Jesus just helps him to see what that would look like, and it's a struggle sometimes. And Jesus' response to him was quite simply, uh, with humans, this is just impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And that's the genesis of this worship series called What If?, what if we could partner with God and make things possible? What if we could make uh, God's kingdom true here on earth? And what an exciting opportunity that is, right? Part of what we've begun to discover is there are some, some steps to that that we started talking about a few weeks ago, one of which was quite literally just live gratefully. Discover the gratitude that you already have because God is good, God is amazing, God is doing wonderful things in our lives. Gratitude is the basis point for all of generosity. Then last week we talked about how to spend wisely, that often our issues with generosity are not about our income, but rather about our outflow, how it is we spend and the ways in which we use God's resources. And so we need to spend more wisely. And finally today we're gonna to talk about how it is we can give generously. Because the, the previous two, gratitude and wisdom help lead to generosity and help us to better understand the ways in which we can be generous with our hearts and with our lives. And so I'm excited about the ways in which that will help us collectively find fulfillment, find joy, and find the great blessings that God yearns for us to have and to share. So there's this great story in Scripture. It's in Luke's Gospel. We've been in Luke's Gospel the last several weeks, and Luke's Gospel helps us in so many levels discover this generosity and the ways that God can use our generosity to transform not only our hearts, but the world's heart. And so I want to call you to gather with me in Luke chapter 21. Jesus is uh, in the midst of teaching about the kingdom and about how it is we can help bring it. And then there's this very short lesson. It's one of the shortest teachings Jesus offers. It's just four verses, and it uses, as usual, a very unlikely suspect to teach a very powerful lesson. Listen for these words from Luke chapter 21, the first four verses. While Jesus was in the temple, he watched the rich people dropping their gifts in the collection box. Then a poor widow came by and dropped in two small coins. I tell you the truth, Jesus says, this poor widow has given more than all the rest of them, for they have given a tiny part of their surplus, but she poor as she is, has given everything she has. Friends, this is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I love this story because in its pithy shortness, it gives us a broad and powerful goal. If I were to sort of summarize the goal of these four verses, it would be quite simply this, that we want to move from spare change to life change. Let's move in our own understanding of life and of generosity from spare change, giving out of what we'll never miss, to life change, 
There are hearts and our minds and our lives are transformed by who it is God is calling us to be and the ways in which God is preparing us to serve in the world. Let's move from spare change to life change. I love the story because it starts off with one of my favorite activities. You notice how Jesus is in the temple treasury and he's people watching. You like to people watch like I do? Man, I love to go to the airport or love to go to a public setting, a mall or any place and just watch people because you know what? We're weird. And we're just fun to watch, aren't we? And I'm so glad that they're weird and I'm not, right? Because when I'm watching, clearly I'm not weird, but they are, right? But I love people watching, and Jesus is people watching in the temple. And it's fascinating because in the day, the temple had not only a place to worship, but there was a place to collect the offering. And the offering was usually in a, in a, 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 a tin or a, a metal a gathering spot that people would drop their coins in. Back in the day, the bigger the coin, the bigger its value. And by the way, the bigger the value, the more you will know and see and hear that I'm dropping it in that bin, right? And so these wealthy folks are dropping their big coins in so that everybody can see and everybody can hear and everybody can witness. Because I don't know about you, but in the church, we're funny folk about our giving, right? Nobody likes to see us give. It's one of the reasons we stopped passing the plate, because everybody's awkward about it, right? But we can give in a brown box in the back, or we can give online and digitally, and nobody will know. But in the day, in the temple treasury, everybody knew by the sound and by the look of the coin that you're dropping. And these wealthy people wanted everybody to see and everybody to hear. So I could drop that coin and make a big old loud noise, and you'd know, by golly, they gave a lot of money. But Jesus didn't care. Jesus cared about two little bitty teeny tiny coins, sometimes called a mite. The official word was a lepta or leptin. It was the smallest coin in circulation, smaller than her penny, smaller than any coin you've ever seen in uh, America at least. So small, legend says, that it was not only small in diameter, but it was thin in substance. They say some people could actually see through the coin. It was so paper thin, worthless but she drops two in. And the text tells us that they're not just any two coins, but they're all she had. Depending on the translation that you read, it would say all she had to live on, all that she possessed, all that she had. And Jesus lifted it high because he said to everybody gathered, she's given more than everybody else. Two little bitty coins. And it begins to make a a point in our hearts and in our lives that somehow those Little bitty coins make a massive difference in generosity. Notice Jesus didn't highlight the the value of the coin. Notice Jesus didn't say she only gave a, a pittance. Notice Jesus didn't highlight anything about the amount at all. He simply said she's given more. And when you begin to think about that, I I wonder if it doesn't point out that maybe she trusted God more than those folks did. I mean, she did, after all, give everything she had, everything she had to live on, everything that was hers. And she trusted God with whatever might come. And so those great big old coins who everybody could hear and everybody could see didn't matter, Jesus said, because they were giving out of their surplus what they'd never miss. Another translation literally uses the words spare change. And Jesus simply wants to acknowledge, well, it's good to give in any format, in any amount, 
spare change or surplus or what one would never miss is nothing compared to the trust and gratitude of offering my all. And then I begin to reflect on that and I wonder, I wonder if those coins didn't make a huge difference both the big and the small. I wonder if both of them had a huge impact on not only those gathered, but on you and me. And I reflect on what those coins sounded like. I think their coins, the wealthy people's coins, I think they had the sound of abundance. These sound loud. These sound big. These sound like they have some kind of character to them. They must be abundant. Those folks must have a lot. They have a great sound to them. But I wonder if her coins don't have the sound of substance. There's more to them. There's more to her means. There's more to her attitude. There's more to her heart. There's more to her life. There's more to her trust. There's more to her gratitude. There's more to everything she gives with these two little bitty coins. And Jesus wants us all to hear and to know what a substance they offer to us in how we understand generosity and how we understand our relationship with God. It's a powerful story, isn't it? Two little bitty coins that nary make a difference of any kind, but Jesus will lift them up as the way that we ought to give. Part of what that points out is it's not the amount that makes the difference. It's the heart. It's not how much we give, but rather how much it impacts who we are in our relationship with Christ. And so here at Treach, that's why we teach the tithe. It's why we believe in the tithe, this 10%, this uh, first fruits, as the biblical language sometimes identifies it. And this tenth or this tithe becomes important uh, from the very beginning of worship. The Old Testament teaches us over and over again about the tithe. Some of you know these texts. You might think of Leviticus. I know that's one of your most favoritely read books in the Bible. Leviticus chapter 27 talks about the tithe, and it quite literally just says, now, a tenth of what you grow from the, from the grain of the field or from the fruit of the tree, it's God's, and it's holy to God. And a part of that acknowledgement is it's a holy endeavor to offer this tithe, this 10%, the first fruit of our crops. Deuteronomy would go on to say in chapter 14 that you must set aside a tithe of what it is you grow, and when you set aside that one-tenth that it belongs to God, in fact, it would say, take this tithe to the nearest place of worship. And that begins to help us know not only do we give a tithe, but that it belongs to God, that we offer that to God, that we commit ourselves most fully to God. Now, the tithe is important, and the Scriptures begin to set it out, and the Old Testament is clear over and over again. And some of you will say to me, well, Pastor, that's the Old Testament. We don't need to do that. And I'll say, you know, there's some truth to that. In the, in the New Testament, the tithe is only mentioned one time, and Jesus lifts it up. And it's not exactly favorable, except for the fact that Jesus says we ought to not just tithe, but we ought to be about mercy and justice as well. And so he expands the tithe. To make, it real, to make us realize that it's not just a ceiling, but rather it actually becomes a, a floor. It actually becomes a basis point, a starting point, this giving of God out of a tenth or the first fruits of ours. And this widow's might begins to highlight that Jesus, Jesus demands more. Jesus yearns for us to give more. This woman gave 
all, right? Remember, that was the language, all she had to live on. She gave more than all the rest. And we begin to see Jesus. Jesus suggests that we've got to give all of our heart, all of ourselves, all of who we are in our followership of Christ. I think of that same man I highlighted at the beginning of my message in Luke chapter 18 who wanted nothing more than to inherit eternal life. He yearned to know what that was. He was a wealthy man. And he came to Jesus and he said, what must I do? How can I do this? And Jesus said, well, you obey the law. And he said, well, I've already done all those things. And he highlighted what he hadn't murdered. He hadn't stolen. He hadn't done any of those things. And and he said, what else must I do? And Jesus simply said in Luke 18, 22, that there's one last thing left for you to do. Sell all your goods, give them to the poor, and then come and follow me. And you can well imagine that that man was heartsick because he was quite wealthy and he would have to give up everything he did. And that's when Jesus said, with humans, this is impossible. But with God, this is possible. You see, this form of generosity, this tithe, this generosity that calls us above and beyond the tithe, this generosity that asks of our whole heart, of our whole being, we can't do it on our own. We need God's help. We need God's help through prayer and through trust and through acknowledgement of our gratitude and through recognition that God has already done so many good things in our hearts and our lives. It's why in the story of the woman who washed Jesus' feet, you remember we did this several weeks ago, and it simply acknowledged that she was pouring out her gratitude. John's gospel tells the same story, and in John chapter 12 it tells us that 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 ointment that she poured on Jesus' feet, it was worth a full year's wages. Wow. And Jesus encouraged her to use it because she was grateful. She was grateful for all he had done and grateful for the way in which he would forgive her of her sins. And Jesus simply highlighted the fact that her generosity in sharing a wage of a year's worth was a demonstration of her gratitude. You see, God calls us to this level of generosity and gratitude. Jesus expects more than simply the tithe. He expects us to live most fully into a relationship with God. In fact, that's what generosity is. I believe generosity is about our relationship with God, and it's based in our gratitude to God, right? God has done so much for us, with us, in our hearts, in the world. God continues to do so many things in our lives and in the world. And so part of generosity is simply acknowledging that and welcoming the opportunity to grow in our relationship with Christ through that generosity. That's what the widow was doing. She was demonstrating deep gratitude and essential trust that God would somehow provide. She was also demonstrating this truth. Generosity is a lifestyle. It's not a line item in our budget. We, we, can, we can cram uh, generosity in our budget. We can plan for that generosity. We can sure make sure that it works and have that line item, and that would not be a bad thing at all. But generosity is actually a lifestyle. It's the way I talk. It's the way I interface with people. It's the way I give hope away. It's the way I share life's joy and God's love. Generosity is so much a part of who our total humanity is. The widow did a phenomenal job of helping us to see that. She gave of her very self. She opened her heart and her life to God, and she received the blessing. 
she received the goodness to know that God was with her no matter what. And so ultimately, I think this is what generosity is. Ultimately, generosity is what God wants for us, not from us. Yes, we're going to offer something to God, but what God wants for us is the fullness of life and the richness of the joy and recognition that God continues to pour out blessings beyond our compare. This is what generosity brings. God wants that for us. God doesn't want anything from us except our hearts. And that brings trust and hope that God will move in our lives and in the world. I love the widow's might because it portrays the richness of how God is worthy and how we can trust who God is with all of our being. So I wonder, how can we get there? How can we get to that place of gratitude and of trust? How can we get to that place that we honor God with our whole hearts, with our whole selves? I want to just go through a couple of thoughts that I hope will help you. I know they've helped me throughout the years. And, and sometimes, you know, I'm, I'm, I know you don't believe this, but I'm kind of a logical guy and I want to walk through logical steps. And so every once in a while I just kind of go through the who, what, where, and why stuff, right? And when I can answer the who, what, where, and why, it helps my head and my head will help my heart. My heart will live it out, right? So I always start with why. Why is, why is generosity important? And, and why do we offer it? And, of course, we've talked about this um, extensively. The why we give is simply gratitude. I'm grateful for what God has done and what God will continue to do. And my gratitude is poured out in worship and through prayer and, and through giving of money and through giving of time and energy. And, and, and that gratitude helps build a beautiful foundation for how it is I can offer myself to God wholeheartedly. The book of Deuteronomy is a fascinating book in the Old Testament. It's a part of the law, uh, but it also is a book of worship. And so as the Israelites were trying to make their way towards the Holy Land, they, they needed to know that not only were they God's people, but they were to worship God and to celebrate God and to remember who God is and what God was doing in their hearts and lives. And this is the beginnings of gratitude. And in Deuteronomy chapter 8, it just says, remember that God, your God, is the one who gives you the capacity to earn wealth. Man, how true is that? I wouldn't be able to earn wealth, to have a living if I didn't have the intellect God gave me or the heart and strength that God gave me or the talent and skill that God gave me or the air to breathe that God gave me or the water that God nourishes me with or the food that God provides for me. If I didn't have any of those things, I couldn't earn wealth. I couldn't create wealth. And when I realize that, when I stop and pause for gratefulness in that, it begins to remind me, man, God's been generous. I've got so much because God has first entrusted to me capacity to earn wealth. And when I remember that, it changes who I am and what I'm doing. That's the why. The what of what we give is quite literally just a proportion. Remember we talked last week in Deuteronomy, it likewise said we ought to give in proportion to the way we believe God has blessed us. And I gave you an out. I said, golly, if, if God has never blessed you, if God's never opened doors for you, if God's never helped you out, if God's never uh, created any kind of blessing for you, you don't need to do anything. Not a thing. God wouldn't expect it. But my hunch is God has blessed you. 
even through difficult times, even through the strenuous times, even when you couldn't quite see what the future held, you knew that God was with you and you understood that God was a blessing. And when we understand that, we can give this portion to God, really back to God, right? I love the way Paul wrote. When Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, he was trying to help them see that the Macedonian Christians had been very generous to the mother church back in Jerusalem. And in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, he kind of plays them off against the Macedonian Christians. And in part, what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 is quite literally, whatever you give is acceptable if you're eager, if there's a willingness, right? If there's a, a desire to do that. And if you'll give according to what you have, not what you don't have. You see, God doesn't expect us to give beyond our means. God doesn't expect us to give beyond what we have. God doesn't expect us to give more than a portion that's due God, a first fruits, a tithe. I wonder if we could work towards a portion of what it is God's entrusted to us. The why is gratitude, the what is proportion. And the, 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 way, the, the how, rather, is um, a willing spirit. God loves for us to willingly do this, not out of obligation or duty, not, not out of some sense that I have to do this, right? Nobody loves to do anything that they have to do. We want to do something. We desire to do something. And when our heart is right with God and when we desire to offer our gratitude to God through generosity, it changes everything. It changes how we know God. It changes how we know others. So in that same letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, in, in the very next chapter, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, he just says, now each of us must give as we've made up our own mind to give. When we give out from our own mind, quite literally, we don't need to have regrets or do this out of compulsion because God loves a cheerful giver. That's the willing spirit. God wants us to be willing to make this contribution, be desiring to make this offering. And when we do, again, it helps us to know this relationship with God. Now, the when sometimes stumps us. When should I give? You know, do, do I give, you know, some months and not others, some weeks, not others? What? And I, my simple answer to when we ought to give is regularly, consistently, for some, that's weekly. For some, uh, that's monthly. For others, it's quarterly. But some kind of consistency, just like you're here week in and week out in worship, just like you read Scripture on a regular basis, just like we pray to God on a consistent basis. Generosity is a spiritual practice. And one of the ways we offer ourselves in that practice is consistency, regularity. Now, every year, we invite you to complete an estimate of giving, a way to say, for the next year, here's what I'm planning, here's how I'm kind of working this out, and I know the church could be uh, helped by that knowledge. That's why we have the, the, the estimate of giving card. It's a simple way to say, here's what I'm going to give regularly. One of my favorite passages of Scripture is when Nehemiah is helping to rebuild the walls in Jerusalem. You know, been destroyed, and, and they needed to pull together. And so Nehemiah pulled them together, and he prayed together with them, and he gathered the body together, and he invited them to commit financially and commit with their talents and to commit with their time. And in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 38, he called the leaders together, and he literally said, now I'm challenging you to do this. And he said, so uh, their commitment was, we will promise, and we will write this down. And they committed to give financially, and they committed to give of their time and of their talents, and they rebuilt the wall of Jerusalem. 
You know, anything we put our name on, whether it's a card or a contract or a covenant or any other form of commitment, we're more willing to commit to it, aren't we? I mean, it's just normal human uh, understanding that if my name's on there, I'm going to do my best. Now, I need you to know this because I think there are some who believe this. You know, Guido used to be on staff here, and he used to show up for those who didn't commit their pledge. But in the, in the, in the cuts in the salaries, we just kind of got rid of Guido. So Guido doesn't show up anymore. So just rest assured, he's not coming to your house. That's why we call it an estimate of giving. It's just a way for us to say, I'm going to do my level best, and I'm going to challenge myself to commit to God. The last question is, where should I give? And I hope you know the answer to this. Where I should give is anywhere God calls my heart to. I know and you know I commit and I know you commit to all kinds of nonprofits and amazing uh, ministries in the, in the life of the world beyond the local church. We ought to be giving as God guides us to give. As followers of Jesus, however, we know that where our giving starts is with God. And therefore, the tithe belongs to God. Offerings are above and beyond the tithe, and offerings go beyond the local church. But the tithe starts with God. Marietta pointed it out in her testimony. Malachi chapter 3 just highlights this. Verse 10 simply says, bring the full tithe into the temple treasury. And put me to the test, God says, that the house not only might be full, but notice, if you'll put me to the test, if I won't open up the floodgates of heaven, and pour down upon you blessings that you could never even imagine. I wonder if we could put God to the test. I wonder if we could imagine, what if? What if I gave a tithe? What if I committed my whole self? What if I gave out of gratitude? What if I was willing to connect with everybody else to make God's kingdom come? How powerful would that be? Now, I know for a fact we're not all at the tithe. In fact, statistically, less than 4% of all Christians are at the tithe. And so we just want to offer a, a simple solution that I want to invite you to contemplate for yourself if you're not already giving at a tithe. We call it the 2% principle. It has two very clear and distinct stages. The first stage is just determine a percentage or a proportion of your income to give, 1%, 2%, 5%. Just start somewhere and start giving at that percentage. Notice that it's a proportion like we ask you to consider, like Christ asks us to. And then every six months, just increase it by 2%. If you started at 1, go to 3. If you started at 3, go to 5. If you started at 5, go to 7. Just increase it by 2% every six months until you work your way up. This is a way to develop a relationship with God, to demonstrate gratitude, and work towards a heart that is open to a relationship with God. It's what the widow did. She was willing to commit her whole self so that not only would God be blessed, but she would be blessed. And so I invite you. I invite you to the sound of substance. I invite us to move from spare change to life change. And I invite each of us to claim the life-giving love of Jesus Christ that can build God's kingdom through generosity. Now, I know some of you have completed your card online, and I'm grateful. 
I know some of you will use this card this morning, and you can just drop it in any of these baskets as you leave. Uh, drop it however you want, face down, fold it up, face up, whatever, just drop it in the basket. But whatever you give, whatever you commit to, know that it honors God. Know that we all want to grow in our relationship with Christ and desire to help make that possible. What if? What if we could do this? What if we could transform the world? What if we could build God's kingdom? It all rests in our understanding of generosity. Thanks for all you will do to make that possible by God's strength. Will you pray with me? Holy and loving God, thank you for the gift of your son Jesus, for this widow who taught and teaches us a powerful lesson of faith that we can commit our whole selves to you, that we give our whole heart to you, that we desire a deepening relationship with you each and every day. God, give us courage and strength to trust you, to be grateful to you, to honor you with our whole selves. God, this is our prayer, and we lift it in the name of Jesus Christ, whom we know to be our Savior. Amen.